Indiana Bible College is committed to training tomorrow's apostolic leaders today. This is the Indiana Bible College podcast. Sister Evangeline Rodenbush served alongside her husband as a church planter, a missionary, a regional director, an instructor at Indiana Bible College, and an investor in people around her. On Tuesday, February 16th, 2021, Sister Rodenbush passed from this life into the loving arms of her Savior. Please join us and keep the entire Rodenbush family in your prayers as they travel this road of loss, and join us as we ask God that He would strengthen their family. During her time as an instructor at Indiana Bible College, we were privileged to hear Sister Rodenbush preach, Does anybody care? One thing that is certain about Sister Rodenbush is that she cared. She cared about family, those around her, the city of Cutler, the nation of Ghana, the souls of Europe and the Middle East, the students of Indiana Bible College. She certainly lived in such a way that exemplified her true Christian character and how much she, in fact, did care. Sister Evangeline Rodenbush preaching, Does Anybody Care? Praise the Lord. Thank you for the wonderful introduction, my beautiful daughter-in-law. And I'm so proud of her and my, my son, my family. And the greatest thing is there's no greater joy than to see your children walk in truth. Thank you for that. So... If you've heard me speak on this subject before, I apologize for repetition, but I do not apologize for thus saith the word of God. Let it come into our hearts in a new way today, okay? Now, I have not come to comfort the afflicted. I have come to afflict the comfortable. First John 3, 16, 18. You don't even have to turn to it, trust me. Hereby perceive we the love of God. Because he laid down his life for us, We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But who has this world's goods and seeth his brother have a need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him? How dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed, but in deed and in truth. It's so easy to say, I love you, I love you, hi, I love you, I love you, I love you. And as music people, it's so easy for us to get up here and sing about the love of God and, and uh, our love for Him and His love for us and His love for a lost world and our love for our brothers and our sisters and our love for the lost and surrender and dedication and all of those things. That's so easy to sing. But it's another thing to love, live it out. To love in deed and in truth. Jesus, help us today, Lord. We need you, Lord, to speak to our very hearts. To dig down into the 
the corners and the, the get down to the deep, the bottom line, Lord, of what we are here for and what we are doing here and why you have blessed us with talents and why you have given us great gifts and why you have called us. We are here, Lord, to hear from you. Help us today in Jesus' name, amen, and you may be seated. Sometimes we have to walk the talk. And I want to get down to that basic thing today, if I possibly can. Brother Mooney, I'm like you. I, you, you have this in you, and you can't get it out. But Lord, help us today. We're living in a sick, sad, suffering world. It's a crazy, mixed-up world. It's a world where people care more about their pets than they care about people. We, we spend hundreds of dollars burying our pets in pet cemeteries complete with a headstone, and we throw away aborted babies in trash bags. 3,000 every day, 125 babies every hour, two babies every minute, and we call Hitler a bad man. What has happened to us? Dr. Derek Miller, who is the director of juvenile alcohol and drug studies at Chicago's prestigious Northwestern University, made this startling statement. He said, every weekend in the United States of America, at least 50% of our young people are strung out on drugs, alcohol, or both. Every two young people that you see, statistic-wise, one of them is strung out on alcohol or drugs. When they asked Dr. Miller why, 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 why is this happening? What's going on here? He said, because too many of them feel that nobody cares about them. And too many of them are right. In an article on suicide from Time Magazine, they told about a little six-year-old boy who tried to commit suicide. He said, I want to die because nobody loves me. And he was later found hanging from a second-story window. An 11-year-old boy in the same article slashed his wrists and attempted suicide. And when he was revived, they said, I, he said, I just wanted to go to heaven. I just wanted to die because nobody cares if I live or die. Do I need to go on? I don't think so, because you know it, and I know it, and we all know it. That's the kind of world we are living in today. Now, these things shake us for a moment, but only for a moment. We live in, we're like a big giant turtle, you know. We kind of live in this big shell of Pentecostalism and church. And... Uh, truth. And once in a while, we do stick our neck out and look around just a little bit at our lost world, and, and uh, then we like to just promptly retreat right back into our little shell. This is a wonderful shell right here, you know, just our little shell where we're comfortable. We sleep and slumber in a st state of religious apathy, and we rest in the p uh, security of our Pentecostal experience and we enjoy our Pentecostal services and our outstanding preaching and our wonderful worship and our great talent. And we do it all over and over again in our little shells while souls for whom Christ died are out there dying and hurting and needing somebody to help them. And where is the church? And where are we? And where is our burden?
Does anybody care? Today, what people need most is people. A pat on the shoulder, a strong handshake, a look in the eye, a smile, a sensitive spirit, and a love that is not just said, but shown. I'll never forget a phone call I received one day. It was from a home missionary pastor's wife. She had to talk to somebody, and she chose me. And she said, last night there was a fellowship meeting in our section. My husband works at a secular job because their little church wasn't big enough to support them. And he got home late, but she said, we made the effort to go to the fellowship meeting anyway because... We were lonely, we were discouraged, and we needed some fellowship, and we needed some spiritual strength. You see, the battle had been really hard and long for this young couple and their children, and they were discouraged. She told me what happened. She said, we finally got to church. We pulled into the parking lot, and she said, first thing I noticed was all the nice, beautiful cars sitting out there. She said, we pulled in our old car and parked beside him, and I felt a little bit embarrassed. But she said, I knew that wasn't the right way to think, so put that out of my mind. And we went on into the church, and the only seats left were right down in the front. So she said, we paraded all the way down the front. And she said, it's not that I mind sitting in the front, but she said, I knew that even though we had on the best clothes we had, they were probably a little shabby compared to what most everybody else had there. And she said, I was especially embarrassed for my kids. They had three teenage kids who were living for God and trying to help them in their home missions work. She said, thank God for the service. The preacher really preached good, and it was really an encouragement to us. But she said, the real hurt came after church. Everybody got with their own little group. Made their own plans. She said, nobody, Sister Rodenbush, even came by to ask us how we were, how we were doing, how our church was doing. Only a few people who just happened to walk by us shook, even shook our hand. She said, we waited around. But nobody invited us out for fellowship. She said, I would have just been happy if some of the young people would have invited our kids to go out for a little fellowship. And then she said, we left feeling so discouraged and so alone. And then she said these words to me. Does anybody care? Someone has said the Christian army is the only army that kills its wounded. And I say, why are we so indifferent? Why do we hurt one another? Whatever happened to Romans 12 and 15 that says, Rejoice with them that rejoice and weep with them that weep. Whatever our ministry, whatever our talents, one thing remains true. If we ever get so important, are so busy, are so self-centered, that any individual becomes insignificant in our mind or in our heart or in our sight, then we've lost our perspective. We've lost our direction, and we've certainly lost our right to call ourselves a Christian. If there ever was a day when we needed to love one another and reach out to one another and encourage one another and include one another and lift each other up, it's today, it's today, it's today, it's a hurting world, and people need help. Everybody wants to be included. 
over here are some of my greatest friends in the world from Matt Toon. And Sister Judy Dowdy, you all know her. She was a great musician, a great leader in the music field. And uh, I remember years ago when we were at Matt Toon Church and the Matt Toon Youth Choir was going to sing that night, the famous Matt Toon Youth Choir. And they were going to sing that night. And Sister Dowdy leaned over to me and she said, uh, uh, the guy up there that's going to uh, sing the solo part, she said, pray for him. She said, this is his first time to sing and he's really nervous about it all. And so I looked up there and this guy was standing up there ashen white and, and nervous. I thought he was going to pass out. Well, now, if you know the Matt Toon Church, they have many great qualified singers that could have sang the lead part that night. But here's the point. Sister Dowdy was including. He didn't have the best voice there, probably. He was scared to death. He didn't, he just, he didn't even want to be there, I don't think. But he did want to be included in the choir. And that's the way she was. She included. It doesn't have to be the best singer. It's about including somebody who needs some encouragement, who needs some strength. Well, you know what happened that night? That young man got up there, and at first he struggled, but the choir got behind him, and that's what the choir should do, and that's what we should do. It doesn't matter who's singing. It doesn't matter who's preaching. It doesn't matter what's going on. It may not be the best preacher. It may not be the best singer, but get behind them. If they're doing the Word of God and they're singing the Word of God, they deserve our support and our love. I'll never forget what happened that night, Marlo. <laughs> that young man started out, and it was a little bit rough in the beginning. But all of a sudden, the Spirit of God came down. And the presence of the Lord filled that place. And I've never heard any better song from Matt Toon Youth Choir than what we heard that night, Marlo. That's the point. Everybody needs to be included. It takes so little. It just takes just a little bit of interest, a little bit of sensitivity, a little bit of a love that is not just said, but shown. It takes a hug, a few minutes, a phone call, a cup of coffee, a smile. I'm reminded of the story I heard of a little boy who came home late from school one day. And... Uh, when he got home, his face was kind of red, his eyes were red, and his face was kind of streaked, and, and he was obviously very upset, but not nearly as upset as his mother, who had been standing at the door watching for him to come down the street for 20 minutes. His worried mother anxiously asked him, where have you been and where have you been going? What have you been doing? And the little boy replied, well... I was just walking home from school, Mom. And a little boy down the street there, he was crying because his tricycle was broken. So I just stopped to help. His mother, distraught, replied, Help? How could you help? You don't know how to fix a tricycle. The little boy said, Well, Mom... I helped him cry. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? The important thing is not always answers. Our theology, our talent, our words of wit and wisdom. The times I've been the lowest, I didn't need anybody to tell me this will make you a better person. Or the Lord's going to get great glory out of this. Or the one I can't stand the most is, just praise the Lord and everything will be all right. Mm. When I needed the most, I needed somebody to care enough to just sit with me and help me cry. The problem is, sometimes we confuse ministry 
with dynamics. If we can't do the big things, we don't want to do anything at all. We go through life missing little opportunities to be a big blessing because we're looking for that opportunity to be a public blessing. We see those who want to minister to thousands. Oh, but they're too important to minister to one. We want to get up here and smile on this platform or on the stage somewhere, but we don't bother to smile at a stranger or at a down-and-out person or even a brother or sister in the Lord. We give to disaster causes and feed world projects, but too often we don't bother to buy a cup of coffee for a home missionary family that is lonely and discouraged. I'm saying to us today, if we can't do something big, do something little. We can't all be the pastor. We can't all be the music director. We can't all be the lead singer in the choir. We can't all be the worship leader or the drum player or the keyboard player. But we can all do something. We can care about people. And isn't that the most important thing that we can do anyway? Isn't that what it's all about? Isn't that what we're called to do? Isn't that what is supposed to be in the depths of our hearts? Some years ago, I met a man named Rick. Rick Rick was a brand new convert in a church in St. Louis where we used to go when we were uh, missionaries and had to be in St. Louis from time to time. And I didn't know much about Rick, but one thing I learned about Rick, Rick cared about the people at Archway House. Now, I never heard of Archway House. It's a drug rehab place in St. Louis, but I'd never heard of it until one Wednesday night at church they were reading prayer requests and many from the drug rehab place called Archway House were in the request that night. Please pray that I can overcome my craving for alcohol, signed Joe Archway. Please pray that I can get back with my family, signed Mary. Please pray for all the people at Archway House, signed Rick. Well, my heart was touched by that. And uh, I inquired and I found out that two brand new converts, Rick and John, both former drug addicts were going down to Archway House every Tuesday night to minister to those people, and I was touched by their burden, and I wanted to go. And so I was told if I'd be at church at 6.30 on Tuesday night that I could go with them. So I went, and Sister Kepler and an elder a lady in the church there and I, we were there at 6.30. We waited for about 10 minutes, and all of a sudden into the parking lot came this old car about to fall apart. And out from that car jumped a guy with a big smile on his face and an old dog-eared Bible under his arm. And he came over to her car and he said, uh, hello, he said, I'm Rick. He said, I was just wondering, he was really a nervous guy, you know, he's popping his knuckles and everything. He said, I was just wondering if any of you ladies could, could uh, drive your car down there tonight. He said, my old car is just about to fall apart. He said, I drove it down last Tuesday night and it fell apart. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind if I was by myself, but don't want to take you ladies down there. And I said, Rick, honey, it's okay. I'll drive my car. So we went down to Archway House, an experience I'll never forget. We stood at the door of Archway House. It's a three or four story old building in downtown St. Louis. You have to ring a buzzer to get in because they keep the doors locked, of course. We were admitted into a room with a worn out sofas and chairs and just single light bulbs hanging down from the ceiling. No pictures on the wall, no paint on the wall. place where hurting people, souls for whom Christ died, just like he died for you and me, are struggling and suffering. Our 
service was announced on the intercom and eight people came in that night to our little service. Rick got up in front and he's still real nervous, popping his knuckles and everything. He says, well, I guess we'll get started. He said, I'm a bit nervous tonight because these people are here. And he pointed at me and Sister Kepler and, and uh, he said, uh, uh, I, I can't read very much. I don't, can't read the Bible very good. He said, I certainly can't pronounce all those words in the Bible. But then he seemed to suddenly just forget about us. And he started focusing on his little group of drug addicts that were sitting in front of him. And his little talk went something like this. I just want you all to know that one day I was where you are. I know what it's like to start drinking in St. Louis and end up in Memphis or Nashville and not even remember how I got there. He said, I know what it's like to deal drugs on the street and get stoned. And I know what it's like to have my wife say, get out. I can't take you anymore. I know what it's like to spend time in prison and in places just like this. But I have just come here tonight to tell you. I'm not like that anymore. I got my wife and kids back and God gave me a job just this week. And it's all because I woke up one day and said, God, I need help. Please send somebody to help me. And God sent somebody. And I found him. And you can find him too. Wow. I've heard, literally, thousands of sermons but I've never heard a sermon that was any more moving or any more effective or any more beautiful than Rick's. Because here's the reason. No matter what Rick said or how he said it or how many words he mispronounced or how bad his English was, there was one message that kept coming through. Rick cared about those people at Archway House. Amen. And Jack Johnson felt it too. Jack was one of those that came to the service that night. And it was his first day at Archway and he was struggling and he was, he was un, in detox. And, and you could see it on his face. And when we asked the question, can you picture Jesus in your life? Jack raised his hand and he says, yes, I can picture Jesus in my life. He says, you're not going to believe this, but I know everything that you all are all about. I know everything that you're talking about. You're not going to believe it, but I used to be a preacher. And I lost my way. And I need help. And we prayed for Jack, and we prayed for Marvin, and we prayed for OJ, and we prayed for all the people there. And... I went home from that experience and I told my husband and Rob about it and I went in the bedroom and I sat on the floor and I wept and I wept and I wept and I wept. I wept for all the people at Archway House. I wept for Rick because he didn't have a decent car to drive. I wept because I thank God for all the Ricks in this world. Though they don't have an illustrious background, they don't have a pedigree, they don't have a heritage, they don't even have a good education, they don't have any talents, they don't have any abilities, they don't have much understanding of the Bible, but they care enough to do something. If you can't do something big, do something little. And I wept most of all because I'm so blessed. I've been raised in this way. I've been raised on a church pew. I am so blessed. I am so blessed. I am so blessed. And I have so much. And I know so much. And I so often forget. I forget. If it were not for the mercy of God, I could be at Archway. 
If it were not for the mercy of God, I could be lost. I could be the one out there on the street. You could be the one out there on the street. But we are so blessed. We are so blessed. We are so blessed. And we can never forget that he didn't just die for me and you and our kids and our grandkids. He died for a lost world. He died for all those people out there. And that's what this is all about. This is not to perfect our image. This is not to perfect our performances. This is to do something for the Lord Jesus Christ. This is all about using what we have to touch lost souls. I I much prefer a church service to a street service. Much more comfortable in here. I much prefer worship and singing and dancing and fellowship with my Christian friends. And since we're music people, let me just say from experience, it's easy for us to think that music ministry gives us a free pass from soul winning. Not true. As Jay has already alluded to, I have been involved, I was involved in music from the time that my feet, that I could sit on the edge of a piano bench and my feet touched the pedal. Mom put me on the piano at church. God sort of just gave me a gift of music and it was easy for me and I just... I just loved it, and I just got in there and did it, and Mom put me up there, and I, I, I played as soon as I could touch the pedals. And then we got a Hammond organ. Woo, boy, back in those days, that was really great. We got a Hammond organ, and I wanted on that Hammond organ, and as soon as my feet could manage those foot pedals, she put me on that. And yes, I traveled with Sister Anderson Cole, and... and uh, I I played at camp meetings, and I played at conferences, and I did all of those things. And you know what happened? Music became my ministry. But music became my only ministry. In fact, music became my walk with God. Now, those of you who are involved in music and have been all of, all of your life, especially if you're very gifted, you understand there is a great communication through your soul, through music, to God. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about making music a substitute for everything else that God wants me to do. I hid behind a piano and an organ and musical instruments for many, many, many years. And I sat up there and I played through altar services and I played through everything and I never got found myself in the altar. And I've never found myself down there praying with lost souls. Music was, uh, of course, you know, my gifting. It was the easiest thing for me and it became my life and my ministry to God, and that's okay, but it cannot be a substitute for what's behind all of this. I'm telling you, you can backslide sitting on the piano bench. I did. Didn't even know you're backslid because you're just doing what you do good and what you do best and just doing it. I'm telling you, young people and, and anybody who's in music ministry, I tell you this from my heart and from experience. Don't stay at the piano in lieu of you losing your soul. 
If God speaks to you and you feel to be in that altar, you feel to go down there and pray for somebody, leave that piano. It's not that important. And find yourself a place before God in the altar. That's what it's all about. That's the underlying factor here. And then God called us to Africa. And I had no music. I didn't have a piano. I didn't have a saxophone. I didn't have, uh, I had an accordion. That's all I had. We didn't even have a church building. We didn't even have a church. What kind of a music minister can you be when you don't have a church, a building, or people, or musical instruments? <laughs> Do I regret that? No. A thousand times no. Because God took me from that where I could have lost my soul and gave me a new understanding of what His love and His work and what I'm all about. Music is wonderful. It's the thing that draws people. It's the thing that creates the atmosphere for God to move. But it's not the only thing. There's still incumbent upon all of us the need to see a lost world. To touch the hurting to care. Let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. We say we care. We say we love. But do we? I don't call his real name, recall his real name, so I'll just call him Billy. Billy was a product of Sunday school bus ministry. He lived in the bad part of town. He was a little dirty and a little shabby, and his tennis shoes didn't even match, and he always needed a haircut. But nevertheless, Billy was quite an outgoing little kid. He was always friendly, and he never missed Sunday school. He loved getting on the Sunday school bus and coming to church. On one of his first visits to Sunday school, he saw a man up in the pulpit. And he didn't have a father in his life, so he, he was attracted to that father image. And so he went up to the pastor after church, a very bold little kid, and he said, Hey, pastor. He said, My name's Billy. I got no friends. Would you be my friend? And the pastor said, why, sure, Billy, I'll be your friend. He patted him on the head and he said, we're buddies. Oh, Billy was so happy. He went home that day. He had a friend, he thought. This became a ritual. Every Sunday, Billy would get on the Sunday school bus. He'd come to church. And before he left, he'd always find the pastor. He'd say, hey, pastor. Remember me? I'm Billy. We're friends, ain't we? And the pastor would always pat him on the head and say, Sure, Billy, we're friends. Good to see you. Good to have you here. Well, this went on for months. Then one day Billy came, just like he always did. He found the pastor after church and he said, Hey, pastor, remember me? I'm Billy. We're friends, ain't we? And the pastor said, Yes, we're friends, Billy. He said, Pastor, I got some really bad news to tell you today. And Pastor said, Well, I'm sorry, Billy. What's that? Billy said, Well, you know, Pastor, my mama says that we have to move to another town. And we're not going to get to come to your church anymore. Pastor said, Well, I'm really sorry to hear that, Billy. I'm really sorry. I'm really going to miss you. And Billy said, 
Pastor, ain't we friends? Pastor said, sure, Billy, we're friends. Billy looked a little confused and looked back up at the pastor again. He said, but Pastor, he said, I don't think you understand. He said, I'm moving away. And this might be the last time in the whole wide world you'll ever get to see me. And Pastor said, Billy, I understand you're moving away, and I'm really sorry, and I'm really going to miss you. And Billy, more confused than ever, stuffed his little grubby hands in his pocket, and with disappointment on his little face, he looked up at the pastor, and he said, Pastor, ain't you even going to cry? You see, we say we love, but do we? We say we care, but do we? What we cry about is a pretty good indication of where our values are. We cry over a lot of things. But how long has it been since a lost soul? brought tears to our eyes and flooded our hearts with crying and weeping. The Mormons care. This year they will send out 30 to 40,000 young people around the world to evangelize and propagate their doctrines at great personal sacrifice to their families who support them. And I have to ask, what are our young people committed to? Sports, technology, texting, social internet, entertainment? Does anybody care? Ain't we even going to cry? The Jehovah Witnesses care. In one year alone, the Jehovah Witnesses will devote some 267 million hours in house-to-house -house witnessing. And how many hours do we devote to witnessing? Does anybody care? Ain't we even going to cry? The Muslims care. And they're taking over the world. Islamic groups are sending 10,000 children, junior age children, boys and girls, every year to a boot camp to train them to become terrorists, to blow themselves up, to instill that religion in their hearts so much that they will fight for it and die for it. And most of our children and youth are sadly ignorant of our doctrines and the Bible and don't really care much about doing anything for God. Does anybody care? Ain't we even going to cry? And people are lost. More than three billion people have never had a real message of true salvation preached to them. And some of them are in your community. And some of them are around this church. And does anybody care? Ain't you even going to cry? Is it all about just getting up here and praising God? Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Is that what it's all about? Is that where it ends?
if God gave any of us talents, if he gave any of us ability to do anything, he didn't give it to us for our glory. He gave it to us because there's a lost world out there. What are we going to say on Judgment Day? Oh, Lord, remember me? Well, I was a Sunday school teacher, and I was also the worship leader. But I was hungry. And you didn't feed me. But Lord, I was on the board and the building committee. And I sang in the choir. La 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 la. And he'll say, But I was in prison and you didn't visit me. But Lord, I gave money on the new keyboard. And Lord, did you ever hear me play that keyboard? I'm good. But I was naked and you didn't clothe me. But I give to missionaries. And remember, I attended that all-night prayer meeting last year. But I was sick, and you didn't invite me in. You didn't minister to me. And according to God's word, the verdict will be, inasmuch as we have done it unto one of the least of them, we have done it unto him. What I've tried to convey today is this. Our single purpose in ministry must be, must be, must be to touch the wounded, to touch the hurting, to touch the lonely, to touch those who are lost. I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching to you from something I've learned the hard way. Ministry without compassion is really not ministry at all. Robin Jay, I know you're going to be aggravated at me for telling this, but I remember when y'all were still in St. Louis and one cold night, very cold night, you were driving down the street downtown St. Louis and you saw a man that didn't have any shoes. And you pulled over to the curb and you took off your shoes and you offered them to that homeless man on the street. What I want to say is this. There's nothing more important than that. All of your degrees, both of you are highly degreed. Being executive vice president of Indiana Bible College, being associate pastor here at Calvary Tabernacle. Jay, you sang like an angel last night. That's all great. That's all wonderful. But none of it's worth anything if you're not willing to give a pair of shoes to a man who doesn't have any shoes. Don't ever forget it. IBC Choir. It was beautiful the last two days and nights. Man, you sang wonderful. But Brother Anderson, your greatest singing 
was when the choir went down to Circle Center. And they stood on the streets in the cold. And they sang down there to the glory of God. And hundreds gathered around. And people were crying while you sang. And one person, I think, received the Holy Ghost. That's what I'm talking about. That's ministry. That's compassion. That's love that is not just said, but shown. God bless you. Hallelujah. I think it would be fitting if we just took a moment. I believe this altar call is open to those that felt the weight of conviction upon their heart. But I believe it's even more so open to those that did not. If you'd like to come to this front, you can. Or if you'd like to kneel in your seat, please feel free. But I believe that we need to take just a few moments and allow God begin to realign our thinking. To challenge who we are as ministers of the gospel. Come on, we need to see as Jesus saw many times he left a crowd and went to an individual and began to pour himself into it. Come on, let's get back to what really matters. Let's look at people not as, not as a crowd that we can gather towards us, but as a soul that needs to be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody just be transparent and open yourself up and say, God, help me to see people as souls that you died for, that you gave your life for. Help me to love the lost. As much as I love saints, help me to reach strangers. Come on, that's it. Somebody just get real with God. Pour yourself out. Come on, let the convicting power of God's Spirit reach down. This is what apostolic ministry truly is.